welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss Ryanair's large Boeing order and the Air France KLM and IAG results. Thank you and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Hi, Ned. How are you? Good, good. We had, we had some exciting times here in D.C. We had Michael O'Leary flew in, not on one of his uh, Ryanair jets, though, <laughs> to uh, to Washington to make an announcement for up to 300 new 737 MAX 10 aircraft. That's a lot of airplanes. And I was struck by uh, how many people, they're go- how many seats they're going to put on those things. It's, 228 uh, seats, which is just two under what Boeing lists the max capacity for the plane of 230. Yeah, and and comparable. I don't know the number offhand, but if you take a I don't know an airline like American, that's about what they put on their seven eight seven eights over to you know on intercontinental. So it's um it's it's wide body it's capacity that's normally you would think of as wide body capacity on narrow body. And and to be I know you know a lot of A three twenty ones Wizz Air does similar things in their three twenty one Neos, and so it's not completely out of the ordinary. But it did strike me that uh, yeah, it's a lot of people for. And a narrow body flight. No, absolutely. And you know, looking at Ryanair specifically, it's uh it's a twenty percent jump over their seven thirty seven eight hundreds right now. So the eight hundreds have eighty one hundred eighty nine seats, and it's going to go up to two twenty eight. So it's big. And you know, O'Leary, who had many colorful comments at an event here in Washington D.C. or Arlington, Virginia. Excuse me, I should uh, <laughs> say exactly where it is for those from uh, across the river. You know, he was he was saying yes, it's going to push the the additional seats will push down yields, but they expect it to generate enough additional stimulate enough additional travel that that they will make up for those lower yields as they upgauge because 150 of those 300 planes will replace older 737-800s. Yeah, the, the unit costs on that are just gonna they're gonna have to just be fantastic. You you have to imagine, um, especially with Ryanair's cost structure. Important to note, I mean, Ryanair, you know, if you ask me, Ned, what's the most successful airline of all time, you know, I might say Southwest, but Southwest in, you know, over the past decade or so, their kind of profit margins have deviated more towards the mean. And I'd have to say <laughs> right now, the most successful airline in the world might be Ryanair, you know, over the last 20 years or so. Um, just an incredible story um, and still just extremely profitable. Uh, Absolutely. Could, yeah. You know, listening to O'Leary, and, and this was the second time I've actually been in the room with him, it's, you know, he's known for his his zingers, his one-liners, his cracks jokes, makes outlandish comments, but he really is a sharp manager. Like, I was struck by that. He knows unit costs. He knows yields. Like, he's sh- very sharply focused on that. And, you know, like you said, the unit cost in these planes is going to be very low. Um, oh, I, yeah, I, I, and, yeah. I don't have any reservation at all about calling that man a genius when it comes to airline economics. I mean, what he's accomplished, uh, you know, dating back from the old days, uh, there's all stories about how when he, uh, you know, the Ryan family brought him on to uh, to turn around a struggling little startup airline. And he would go over to visit Herb Kelleher in Dallas and, you know, try to pick his brain and. Uh, you know, just the rest of the story is, um, you know, just all upside from there. But yeah, an incredible character. And just to, you know, kind of briefly uh, answer the question of, you know, how did Ryanair just become so successful? And that's, you know, there's probably a, a, a book to be written about that. Perhaps there have been some books written about that. 
But uh, don't discount the the, um, the very important fact that uh, you know the the aircraft purchases that Ryanair has done over time has been very instrumental. They've been such an important customer of Boeing that they really do get favorable pricing. I mean, perhaps you know them along the Southwest. I mean, you might argue the most most important Boeing customers certainly. And yeah, I should say, side. sorry to interject. I mean, they are Boeing's biggest customer in Europe for the 737 at least like i mean there is no airline in europe that operates as many or nearly as many uh 737s as, as ryanair does and in fact airbus has won most narrow body orders in europe in the past uh i'd say 10 20 years right right you think about you know Wizz air and easyjet and you know even some of the bigger airlines uh the uh yeah exactly they're 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 predominantly airbus carriers or not exclusively airbus carriers so that's so ryanair just just gets you know i'm sure incredibly favorable pricing and they tend to buy aircraft, uh, and this is, you know, this was not the case yesterday, but uh, they tend to buy, place big aircraft orders during downturns when Boeing is sort of, you know, maybe desperate is too strong a word, but, uh, you know, when they're eager to fill up slots and keep idle, you know, keep keep production lines from being idled and workers from being idled, Ryanair will step in and say, sure, you, know, you, need, you need orders, I'll give you orders, just give me a great price. And they did that after 9-11. Um, they did that during somewhere around the you know great financial crisis, global financial crisis, 09, 08, some, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, right now, that's you know the, the the that's definitely not the case. I mean, order the order Bo- Boeing definitely doesn't have the problem of uh, you know well, Leary, having too few orders. On that but... a bit, yeah. I mean, he talked about how you know. This deal was probably was not the cheapest price he wanted. He he said that he was very clear. It came up a few times, but it was a good price. And he said, you know, part of the reason is is they they want to get their their future fleet locked up. And he acknowledged that uh, backlogs at Airbus and Boeing are are filling up. And Ryanair wanted to lock in its place. And he also joked that if uh, Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, wants to get him some Max 10s earlier than 2027, which was when the first is due, he's more than happy to take it. So they're eager to get some planes in there. But this sounds like this was more of a deal to sort of lock up, yeah, delivery slots and make sure that Ryanair has got a big piece in there than it is so much about, you know, lifting Boeing. And and to add to your list of times they've helped Boeing out, you know, Ryanair was the first to order more Maxes after the grounding was lifted in late 2020. Right, right. So just an incredibly important customer. And the Max 10 too, uh, you know, and that's been, you know, a fairly well-selling plane for Boeing. They have, you know, big orders from United and I don't know who else ordered the Max 10s. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, but it's in nowhere even close to being as successful as A321 Neo, which is like the superstar narrow body aircraft. So for Ryanair to come in and you know buy all these Max 10s, that's a, a big boost of confidence for that for that product. Um, so you know that's another reason why I'm sure they got a fantastic price. Oh yes, uh, even yeah. if they weren't as cheap as O'Leary wanted them to be, I'm sure they got a great deal. For sure, for sure. So they'll, uh, you know, count them, you know, you can, you can pretty much bank on them, uh, you know, continuing to have like a fantastic cost structure for many years to come. Uh, and of course, you know, we won't go into all the other reasons why uh, Ryanair, uh, his business model works so well, you know, the ancillaries and the, you know, the quick turns and, uh, you know, just the, the 
nature of its of its uh, its network. <laughs> they've they've done they've done a number on uh, for years. They're just Italy is actually their largest country market. People don't realize that. They're, oh, they're Irish company. You know, maybe UK because London Stansted is actually their busy, busiest base. But uh, Italy is their largest country market, and they just spent years like picking away at the carcass of Alitalia. You know, the rotting, dying carcass of Alitalia. Um, and they still, you know, Italy is is still like a very important, uh, very important growth market for them. Uh, now, you know, questions do you do hear people ask, you know, how much growth is there really left in Europe? I and mean, Europe doesn't have a very fast growing economy, that's for sure. Um, its tourist economy is, is growing faster than, than average. So that's, you know, that's helpful. But then these narrow bodies are, uh, you know, they have pretty good range. So you can start doing things, uh, you know, into North Africa. And then I think as you written, as you wrote. Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, Jay, yeah, I got the chance to to ask O'Leary what he, where he plans to fly some of these MAX 10s. Uh, one thing he was very clear about is they will not be flying transatlantic. So those of us here in the in North North America, do not look for Ryanair uh, 730s Max, 7 Maxes coming our way anytime soon. But what he did mention was Mark Ukraine, uh, Northern Africa, some near Middle East spots. Those are all places that Ryanair is looking to grow. And it's it's funny because there's been some analyst reports out recently that highlighted the same thing, that Western Europe growth is slow. They're mature markets, you know, very limited opportunity for Ryanair to go. And Eastern Europe, Northern Africa, and, and the near Middle East are really the best opportunities for the airlines. So it's uh, it's it's really striking that these planes will be, we're going to see these planes flying to places like Ukraine, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Morocco, and a lot in a, a lot much bigger way come the end of the decade than we are now. Yeah, and they've done some of that already. They uh, they fly to all those places now. It's just uh, yeah, it sounds like they're going to allocate more of their future growth to these places. Now, when you start getting into the Middle East, so that's so Wizz Air is very much thinking along these same lines. And as as a lot of our listeners know, the Wizz Air is now doing joint venture, uh, a joint venture um, with uh, Air Arabia in Abu Dhabi, and they are expanding in Saudi Arabia. Now that starts to get a little tougher because now all of a sudden you're competing with with the likes of uh, you know your fly Dubai. There's a lot of um, and you're and, and not to mention your you know your big wide body low unit cost capacity from your Emirates and your Qatar Airways. So you um you know that uh when you start to you know going into that region, it, it does get a little tough. Um so I'm not sure if you know to what extent Ryanair will dip its toe in there, you know, if it'll go as aggressively as Wizz Air is going, that remains to be seen. Um, but uh but yeah, certainly Eastern Europe, um, North Africa, uh there's you, you just yeah, you don't you don't feel like Ryanair is going to run out of growth opportunities anytime soon, no. especially since there are so many airlines, you know, sort of quote unquote legacy airlines that are contracting or dying or merging. And you get these airports that are left without service and they come begging air. Now, the U.S. model, and this is this would be like a separate part. It's so interesting, but um, we won't go into it now. But the U.S. low cost model is very different from the European low cost model. Very, very different. And. You know, maybe Allegiant is the closest thing to a Ryanair in the U.S., but like a Spirit of Frontier, completely, completely different. Um, but in the, in the in Europe, one unique aspect is uh, that the airport costs um, are uh, a lot of these airports are private, and um, the the airport cost can be a key uh, differentiator when it comes to um, you know your total unit cost. So you have these 
you know, airports that are desperate for service, they'll come to Ryanair, come begging, you know, we'll give you a great deal. Um, you know, come here, we'll waive all the fees for the first year and this and that. And so that creates growth opportunities in and of itself. You don't necessarily have to have, you know, a GDP growing at 6% a year or whatever. I mean, you just, you might, you might get growth by being able to stimulate traffic by getting your costs down through airport deals and things like that. So very different model than the U.S. Definitely. Definitely. It is. I'm not worried about Ryanair. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not either. (laughs) Well, with that, we'll take a quick break and we're going to talk about some of those European legacy carriers that you just mentioned, Jay. We'll be right back. And we're back. Like I mentioned, we're going to stay in Europe and International Airlines Group, IAG, and Air France KLM both reported the results uh, last Friday. So it's going to be a week once listeners, you listen to this. But, you know, both of them had pretty similar stories that travel demand remains very robust, but capacity remains a bit constrained. Neither airline is going to be back to 100% this summer. Dovetails nicely with Ryanair, which is happy to pick up some of that growth. But, you know, both airline, both groups are are really looking forward to sort of a heady summer of, of travel to Europe. Which, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on the results, Jay? Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll start by just reading some of the numbers, headline numbers for you. Take a take a few seconds to do that. Um, so as we discussed, I believe it was last week's podcast, um, Lufthansa had a negative four percent operating margin in the fourth quarter, and we talked about them a little bit. I expressed my concern about the mainline operation that it was losing, you know probably too much money for comfort there. Uh, Air France KLM uh, did a little bit worse, negative 5%. Um, and interestingly, Air France actually lost less money, at least on a margin basis than KLM. It was, you know, they're both about negative 5%, but but Air France a little better, a few tenths of a percentage point better. Uh, and then they have Transavia, which lost a ton of money or in margin term, negative 46%, which uh, sounds, you know, very frightening, but it, it, it's very, very seasonal airline. So I wouldn't be worried too much about Transavia. Um, Air France, KLM, they still, you know, they they definitely have issues uh, to deal with, which perhaps we'll touch on in a, in a moment. Um, and then last but not least, IAG, uh, as it as has been the case for many years, uh, outperformed both Lufthansa and Air France, KLM. They actually made money on an operating level, uh, barely 0.2% operating margin. Um, the big star of the show was uh, Iberia actually had a positive 5%. Um, it's that BA Southern made... European uh, airline that really lifts them in the winter, because I believe, I, I can't say this 100% confidence, but Spain is certainly a popular winter destination for many Northern, Northern Europeans, and I'm sure that lifts Iberia. I think that helps. Now, now to be clear, Voiling, which is based in Spain as well, Barcelona, they um, they did lose quite a bit of money. Um, where Iberia really think, where I think the, uh, the stars are really shining there, was with uh, the long haul uh, South Atlantic stuff to South America, Latin America. Uh, they so IAG management said that Iberia's business traffic, corporate traffic, has come back a lot um, to a greater degree than has been the case of British Airways, for example, and probably the case for many other air, global airlines around the world. And you know why is that the case? I don't know. It's tough to say, but uh, but there seems to be you know people from Madrid corporations flying to you know chile or argentina they seem to be that 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 corporate traffic seems to be coming back reasonably strong uh so you know iberia seems to be set up for having a nice year 
Absolutely. And it, it's kind of struck me when I listened to, you know, looked at both of these calls, both called out uh, Latin America, South America as being a very strong region. It came up in Air France KLM's call as well. And I, I didn't know this until I looked, but Air France is actually the second largest airline to South America after Iberia. It's the second largest European airline, I should say. Yeah. So they have mm -hmm. a very strong franchise there. And yields to South America are actually uh, the strongest among all three. This the yield growth is the strongest among all three, except for Asia, which in the first quarter, so the capacity there was still more restricted. So Latin America is coming back strong. And and something that, that this brought up at Air France KLM, at Lufthansa, um, less so at IAG, was that you know, this strength is really partially driving some of their big M&A activity, which uh, Air France KLM is interested in TAP Air Portugal. Lufthansa Group is near a deal to get ITA Airways in Italy. And of course, IAG is still trying to pick up Air Europa if the European officials will allow it. So it's really interesting to see this strength in South America and how that's dri partially driving some of this M&A activity. Yeah, and Air, Air France KLM definitely wants a bigger piece of that market. If you kind of think of... <laughs> It's a very loose analogy here, but if you think of, you know, consider Miami and how good it is, kind of Miami sort of a hub for Latin America. Well, the European equivalent of that is Madrid. Madrid is your, that's your boardwalk for, for serving Latin America. And uh, with, with, with the extent, Lisbon is Brazil. If you're just talking Brazil, Lisbon, but let's put that aside for a minute. Um, Madrid is your, you know, that's your premier hub. And IAG has that with Iberia. And now they're going to get it even more with Air Europa if regulators allow. So Air France KLM, they actually were flirting with Air Europa as well. I wonder if they, you know, kind of wish they may have uh, bid a little bit higher for it and, and grabbed that themselves. I think they would have really liked to have that piece, you know, piece on their map. Um, now, with, you know, with Air Europa being taken, at least for now, they clearly and admittedly have their sights, as you mentioned, on Tapir Portugal, because as, as I just said, um, Lisbon is is the premier hub for serving Brazil, and Brazil is your biggest market in South yeah. America. So that's going to be now Lufthansa being further east, that gets more difficult for them to, you know, they'll never be number one in Latin America. It just yeah. won't happen. Yeah. Now, I think and, as and you wrote. Yeah, they, they mentioned both ITA, Latin America right? and Africa are, are potential out of Rome, but you're right. They're further east, so they'll never have the strength that Iberia and potentially Air France Kalen will have. Yeah, and with ITA, as think, I, I think as you as you said, uh, you know, ITA buying them does, you know, it, it gives you a little bit more heft in, in South America, so that 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 could help. I mean, IAT's other problems aside, ITA, excuse <laughs> yes. me, other problems and shortcomings aside, uh, that yeah, that's that that will help them a little bit. Um, but it'll be a battle. I mean, you have to, you know, IAG is always going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're always going to be the leader in Latin America. You would think so, but Air, but Air France KLM is they definitely in a position to uh, be a solid second, especially if they can, you know, get, get a, a better fit, you know, foothold in um, Lisbon and who knows, you know, perhaps Air Europa, uh, that deal doesn't get approved. And, you know, five years from now, we're talking about Air Europa being part of Air France KLM. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it might not. There was a piece in the FT a few weeks ago about, you know, European regulators are, you know, they haven't actually officially weighed in on the Air Europa deal. But the, you know, citing sources, the FT said that there's still um, discontent with the proposal as it's laid out in Brussels. So we shall see how that moves forward, though. I have to admit, you know, IAG's argument that Madrid is not as big of a hub as Paris or uh, Frankfurt is very uh, accurate. 
And I, I <laughs> sitting in the U.S. where it's essentially it's a very consolidated market, I feel like giving uh, IAG or Europa shouldn't be that much of a competitive concern considering the size of, of some of the other hubs. But that is not for me to decide. We shall see. <laughs> That's not for us to decide, Ned. We'll, uh, we'll have to uh, let the regulators do their work on that. Absolutely. The- the only uh, other thing left to discuss with IAG is Aer Lingus. That's kind of the fourth main airline in the in the IAG empire, and they um, they had a rough rough winter. Um, very very seasonal airline. Also, um, they're going to have, a, by all accounts, they're going to have like a super super summer because Transatlantic is just awesome, and that's um, you know this summer the bookings just look really really strong. And Jay, it's, it's all about that that Dublin Hartford route that they're resuming this summer <laughs> after a few years. I, I swear that's going to be the gold mine this summer. I'm not sure that's going to lead the way, but who knows? This summer you could probably do uh, you know Dublin to anywhere and it'll anywhere in the U.S. and it'll do do fine because of how strong everything is transatlantic. They did they did um, the wintertime losses was negative 23 percent. And even for them, that's a, yeah, a little bit, a little bit on the high side. They probably uh they said interestingly that um so Dublin is, you know, I'm not gonna call it Silicon Valley of Europe by any means, but it is a rather you know tech heavy economy. And the kind of global recessionary uh conditions in the tech sector uh hurt hurt them. They they called that out that some of their you know, short haul business travel is down because fewer tech companies are traveling. So I don't, I don't know how that plays out over the summer, but I think, yeah, I mean, a, a company with that much, an airline with that much transatlantic is is going to come away with very, very high second and third quarter margins. I have no doubt about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with everyone talking about torrid travel demand across the North Atlantic this summer. Yep. 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 And again, we know, I think we mentioned this, I mean, we know it, it's, it's not even a forecast anymore. I mean, we like, Three quarters of the bookings are probably already in, you know. Or oh yeah, it's, uh, we I mean, when who who was it that said they have seventy five percent of summer bookings are already in? Was it Delta? Was it, was it United? I forget. I mean, they all yeah. I want to I want to say United when they were in their call. They you know say yeah we we it's not <laughs> we're not playing guessing games here. It's uh, we we know that Transatlantic is going to be awesome this year because you know we have three quarters of the bookings are already on already in. So um, and woe to yeah. any woe to anyone that still needs to buy their ticket to Europe this summer. It's going to be expensive. Can't yeah, tell you anything else. Seriously, no, this is it's going to be going to be pricey. So, hopefully, you've, uh, all of our transatlantic traveling, uh, the, the travel, the transatlantic traveling public who's listening today has already bought their tickets and ready to go. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I also just want to point out that uh, fuel prices are quite a bit down. So, and and unanticipated. Um, if you look at year-over-year fuel prices, you know, very, very considerably down. So it could be, you know, for some of these transatlantic routes, you know, you've collected all this revenue. It's already sitting on the books um, and the fares are super high, as you said, Ned. But the costs are going to be much lower than you expected, assuming, you know, that's who who knows what fuel prices are going to be by the time you actually fly the planes in June, July, August. But uh, I mean, actually, here we are. I mean, I, I forget we're already in you know, early May. So the transatlantic peak season is kind of already underway. Um, and airlines are paying, you know, quite a bit less for fuel. So it's going to be uh, going to be a nice, should be a nice, nice season, um, nice summer season for, for those markets. Uh, don't forget too, that cheap oil or cheaper oil uh, is very helpful for the global economy too. So when you're talking about, I mean, there's a lot of concerns about there. I mean, certainly in the U S economy, 
their concerns about, uh, you know, we have uh, banking distress. You read about the newspapers and, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve is tightening money, the money supply and all that interest rates are going up. The housing market is, is <laughs> seems to be not moving anywhere. And the tech economy, as we mentioned, is, is, is uh, rather, uh, you know, rather sluggish. Um, but if you, uh, you know, factor in lower oil prices, that's a lot of extra money. In yep. American. I mean, I think Lufthansa, Carson Sport Group CEO said that they, they're expecting to save annually around 500 million euros from lower fuel prices this year, which is big. I mean, that's nothing to nothing to laugh about. Okay, so 500 million euros. I'm just going to roughly say 500 million dollars. So just to give you an example or a comparison here, uh, in so last year, Southwest uh, annual profit for the entire year was 539 million dollars. So you know you can see that that just can massively swing in airlines earnings. Fuel prices Absolutely. are just, yeah. The uh, if 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 the airline industry is the universe, or, or the if the airline industry is the solar system, fuel prices is, is the sun sitting in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, listeners, thanks so much for joining us this week for the airline weekly lounge. You can reach myself er at skiff.com. You can reach j at js at skiff.com. J, always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, Ned, and follow us on LinkedIn as well. We have some, uh, we always throw some uh, interesting questions of the day up there you guys can answer. And uh, if you have any questions as well, feel free to reach out to us and uh, we'll talk next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.